Meet Lori Leshen, the new director of JPL, this week on Planetary Radio. Welcome. I'm Matt Kaplan of the Planetary Society with more of the human adventure across our solar system and beyond. Lori Leshen took over as leader of the Jet Propulsion Lab in May. She invited me to her office on the vast campus of the NASA Center that is operated by her alma mater, Caltech. You're about to hear a portion of our very enjoyable conversation. Later, we'll visit Burger Heaven with Planetary Chief Scientist Bruce Betts in this week's What's Up? You've never seen Jupiter like this. Not unless you've already caught the infrared images of our solar system's giant world captured by the JWST. There it is in two different wavelengths at the top of the July 22 edition of The Downlink, the Planetary Society's free weekly newsletter. Below it is a real stunner. It's a full-globe photo of Mars taken by the United Arab Emirates Hope spacecraft in February. Kudos to Jason Major for processing it from the UAE's data. We've learned that NASA has decided to delay the launch of the Viper rover to the moon. Viper, that's Volatiles Investigating Polar Exploration Rover. And the Ingenuity helicopter on Mars is expected to rise through that thin air once again in August. Engineers and scientists expect dust storms to subside by then, allowing the tiny whirlybird to fully charge its batteries. Of course, the biggest space story of the week arrived less than a day before we published this week's episode. Russia announced it will leave the International Space Station after 2024. I asked Planetary Society Chief Advocate Casey Dreyer to provide his analysis. You can hear it and my complete interview with Lori Leshen at planetary.org slash radio and from your favorite podcast source. There isn't much I need to say to introduce Lori. We talk about the long road that led her to leadership of JPL in the interview you're about to hear. Lori was first heard here on Planetary Radio 19 long years ago. Back then, she was the principal investigator for a proposed mission called Sample Collection for Investigation of Mars, or SKIM. That show is something else you'll find on this week's episode page at planetary.org radio. SKIM was not chosen by NASA, but the agency seems to have recognized a great scientist and leader in Lori. Lori Leshen, thank you for welcoming us into your office. Welcome home. Ah, thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be back in Southern California. We are happy to have you. Full disclosure, you are a former member of the Planetary Society Board of Directors. I think you were also on our advisory council. We're very proud to uh, have you back as a neighbor, as I said. Bill Nye sends his regards and uh, looks forward to saying hello. Oh, please say hello back to him for me. I, I miss him. I'm looking forward to seeing him. Your longtime colleague, Jim <laughs> Green, was uh, my guest last week on the show oh, talking the about <laughs> a number of things. He sends his regards and high praise. He, he said he regrets uh, that he won't be able to work for you or with you again <laughs> in uh, one of those positions because he, he worked for you at Goddard. He I did. didn't know that. Yeah, he did. He worked for me at Goddard when I went there in 2005. He was running our data systems and just, you know, you, you saw last week, I'm sure he's an extraordinary <laughs> uh, communicator and, and, and his enthusiasm for space science is really boundless, to, boundless. And so it's great to see him 
having had so much success running planetary science and then being the chief scientist of NASA, so proud of him. And he's staying busy. As I noted in my introduction, you are the first woman to lead the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. You know, I hope that when the second person takes that chair over there behind us, that, you know, it won't even be necessary. It won't even occur to people to point out that uh, that it's a woman in the job. But but for now, it's it's kind of a big deal. Mm. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's it's a it's a huge honor, of course. It took 86 years, so yes, it's uh, it's time. And and not only am I the first woman, but my my colleague, uh, fabulous colleague up here, Leslie Livesay, who's one of our associate directors, was really the first woman in leadership in the senior leadership of JPL, and she's only mm. been in her role a couple of years. So it really has is time, and and it's wonderful to get to uh, be a part of a change here. I mean, I guess I should say, you're not the first woman to lead a NASA center. Nope. But no. J- JPL does have a different kind of status. Can you remind us of how you how JPL differs from the other centers? Sure. So JPL is NASA's only federally funded research and development center, FFRDC as we lovingly call it, <laughs> which means that, that while we are in some ways very much like a NASA center, in other ways we're very much not, we are our property, our buildings and such are NASA owned, but our employees are employees of Caltech who operates JPL for NASA. And that gives us a little bit of extra special ability to kind of have a little bit of independence, but also really be honest brokers between NASA and the broader space community and do some things that a little bit differently, which is always good, I think, within the agency. And in taking this job, didn't you also become a vice president down the block at uh, Caltech? Yes, I am also a vice president of Caltech and also a professor at Caltech in my old department where I got my PhD. Wow. Uh, I'm a professor of geochemistry and planetary science now at Caltech, which is a thrill. If I have it right, you're only the 10th director in that 80-something years here yes, at JPL. Yes, I think that's right. Uh, you're following these legendary Giants. figures, Bruce Murray, Ed Stone. Yep. Do you ever think about that? I mean, occupying this office? All the time. Uh, also, <laughs> I, it turns out I happen to be living in Bruce Murray's old house at the moment. Oh, I know that house. <laughs> yes. That's a wonderful It's a home. wonderful house, yeah. yes. And, uh, and uh, I spoke to Ed Stone right before I started. I'm a huge uh, longtime fan of his. Charles Alachi was one of my mentors yeah. and, and someone who I respect incredibly deeply. And Mike Watkins is a, is a great person. And so, look, we, I stand on the shoulders of giants here. I also stand <laughs> on the shoulders of the women who came before me at JPL. I'm right now reading, and I would recommend to all of your listeners, if they haven't read Rise of the Rocket Girls, mm. um, which is really the history of JPL as told through the stories of the women who worked here from the very beginning, like the hidden figures, we had women computers at JPL who were working right alongside the engineers building the first rockets here and, you know, blowing lots of things up in this beautiful Arroyo <laughs> back in the day. And, you know, I feel like I stand on their shoulders, too. And I'll recommend a book, uh, Lindy Elkins Tanton's yes. new book as well, Portrait yes. of uh, the Young Scientist. Portrait Scient- of a Woman as a Young Scientist. How right. does it go? I'm trying to get it right, too. Portrait of the Scientist as a Young a Scientist woman. as a Young Woman, that's it. Yes, yeah. I'm in the middle of that one, too. I'm the kind of person that has three books going at <laughs> once. So, Excellent. Uh, and that is a good one. And Lindy's wonderful. Have you seen this? the great photo of you? It's 10 years old now. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, no, it looks great. Uh, you and others celebrating... Uh, when Curiosity made it safely down to the surface of Mars. It's one of my favorite pictures ever. That was taken about 
two minutes after we landed on Mars, which was 10 years ago, the night of August 5th here in California. August 5th is my birthday. Ah. And so it was on my birthday, and it was just the best possible experience to see we landed successfully. Those first blurry, grainy images came down. I call them the pictures only a mother could love because <laughs> because they were actually taken through the lens cap of the camera, right? They, they flew these transparent lens covers so that rightfully because a lot of dust was kicked up, but they took a picture immediately. But sure enough, I'm looking at it and I'm like, I can't see anything. And, and half the science team's like, oh no, there's Mount Sharp. And I'm like, you're crazy. That is not... <laughs> But sure enough, the next day when we opened the lens covers, there it was. And, uh, and you know, it was like 1030 at night when, when we landed her on Mars. And you would think, as I tell this story a lot, you, know, you would think it's like, okay, great, let's go out and celebrate. Well, no, you can't do that. You've got this, I say it's like having a new baby on Mars, right? You've, you've got to make sure it's okay, that, it, that it's healthy, and that it, it can figure out its surroundings, and that it's going to, you know, survive the first night and all of that. So we immediately ran across the street to the science ops center and started working and worked all night that night and all night a lot of nights so it was a it was a thrilling thrilling time still going strong and still making amazing discoveries you know still sampling the rocks and soil of of mars and and analyzing them and finding all kinds of fabulous new things so curiosity is going strong aren't you still a co-investigator on on two of the key miniaturized laboratories or yeah. experiments on curiosity? I am. Uh, I'm a co-eye on the uh, alpha particle X-ray spectrometer, which is on the end of the arm, which can give us sort of bulk chemistry of the rocks that we put our arm on. And then also on the SAM instrument, which is creatively stands for sample analysis at Mars. And that one is a one that's really close to my heart because one, the experiments I did for my PhD thesis in a basement lab at Caltech we're taking up pieces of meteorites and, and heating them up and extracting water and other volatiles and analyzing them. And that's basically the same experiment that Sam does on Mars with rocks we've cored into or we drilled into or, or soil we've scooped. And so it's taking that same experiment to Mars. And we built that instrument in-house at Goddard when I was at Goddard mm. uh, in the mid-2000s. Uh, and it was great to be able to be a part of actually seeing that instrument come to life. You know, we took my whole giant lab at Caltech basically and miniaturized it down into something the size of a microwave oven. So incredible. These are just a handful of the the engineering and and science miracles people here at JPL <laughs> and the other centers that you work sure. with that that you know they create on a regular basis. I yeah. mean I'm awestruck every time I come here. I wonder if that, if you have that same sense still once you're uh, at the top of the pyramid. Absolutely. You know, you, you have to deal with a lot of challenges when you're in a job like this. And for me, the, the thing that keeps you going through those challenges is the inspiration that I get from the science that we're doing every single day, but also the people who are doing that science, who are so committed and dedicated. And, and you know, I talk a lot about how when we were installing a camera on the Hubble Space Telescope and how I, you know, how I saw people crying, right? Like uh -huh. it was this people think science is the passionless pursuit of knowledge and it's nothing so of the wrong. sort so yeah. wrong it's the passionate pursuit of knowledge and we do that every single day here not just on mars but around most planets in the solar system across the universe through fabulous telescopes like james webb and also looking back at our own planet earth to try and understand how it's changing and what the impact of that is on people's lives 
I'm thinking about those previous directors that you mentioned. Every one of them, a scientist or an engineer, Mm -hmm. basically scientists and engineers. Scientists and engineers. uh, Who, you know, I know some of them told me that they, they wished they had time to do the kind of science they had done before they took on that, this job. You've got to be facing the same kind yeah. of conflict. Do you ever, you know, wish you could just disappear from this upper floor and head down <laughs> into a lab? Well, I've only been here two months, so I, I haven't. I don't have that wish yet. But so before I came here, I was president of a wonderful place called Worcester Polytechnic Institute (WPI) in in Worcester, Massachusetts, which is Robert Goddard's alma mater, by the way. So mm. in the ro- history of rocketry, it, it features prominently. They didn't have a geology department or a, people doing space science. They had aeronautical engineering, aerospace engineering, but but they really didn't have people who do what I do. Whereas here at JPL and at Caltech, I have tons of scientific colleagues. So it's actually probably, I hope, going to be easier for me to do a little bit of research while I'm here. I don't have hugely high expectations, but uh, again, with the faculty appointment at Caltech, I do hope to be sharing some students and postdocs with colleagues mm. and and pursuing some science and maybe even jumping back into curiosity and maybe even perseverance. Who knows? Good luck with that. Thank you. What are your priorities? I mean, every new director brings their own approach to the job and right. and that trickles down. I mean, what do you have in mind? Yeah. Well, it's a big agenda right now. And, and so, and I'm still learning a lot. I will not claim to have uh, all the information I need to answer that question really, really definitively. And I want to take the time to really understand the place. I mean, I knew the place well before I've worked with JPL for decades, but but being here and, and really embedding in the culture and the organization is something that takes a little time. And I want to take the time to do that. And I want to hear from lots of our team. We're going to engage almost everybody on the lab, as many as we can, hmm. in in talking about our future. But, but as I look at the landscape, you know, there's kind of four big things. So one is about our missions, making sure that we are delivering um, on those missions. And people are probably aware we had a recent challenge with Psyche, a mission to an asteroid. So we clearly have some work to do to make sure we're able to deliver. Some of that's COVID-related, recovering from that. But probably some there's some other things, too, that we need to learn from and change. So we're really committed to that. And making sure missions like Europa Clipper and Mars Sample Return and the upcoming Earth Science missions. We have astrophysics missions, too. We're building the next the coronagraph on the Roman Space Telescope. So those are all really, really important and, and smaller missions as well. So making sure the missions are working, that's great. Then we need to be also looking beyond that and thinking about what is uh, what does the future hold for JPL kind of beyond the current set of missions. And to do that, um, we need to be seeding technology for the future. Mm. We need to be understanding what capabilities we can barely glimpse right now that we need to develop. And so we are able to do a lot of that work here. And I want to make sure that we're really aligning our investments with with where we think the science is going and make sure we're really driving the state of the art always. And then the the third one is about the broader sort of STEM and space ecosystems. So the space ecosystem specifically is really changing. It's changed a lot in the last decade, right? All these new entrants, all of this great launch capability that we didn't have 10 years ago, large and small, all of this, you know, new commercial activity. How does JPL continue to be essential in that ecosystem? How do we need to think differently about how we're partnering, who we're, who we're playing with and how, right? And so that's number three. And then number four is really around our colleagues and culture here, making sure that we are, um, that people see JPL as a great place to work, where that it's a place where everyone can thrive, where people from all backgrounds can do do well and succeed, and really making sure we're embracing 
um, diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility, all of those things, and just making it a fantastic place to make your career. So that was that's a short list, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's an impressive list. We got a lot to do, and I'm excited to be diving into it. We can't end this conversation without at least saying a few more words about those big splashy missions. Absolutely. Perseverance, just as we speak, picked up yet another sample from Jezero Crater. Perseverance has been full of wonderful scientific surprises, right? It landed in Jezero Crater near the, the delta that it went to see, but not right on it. And so it turns out that as it started sampling, it was finding these igneous rocks, volcanic type rocks, which I love. I'm sort of a fan <laughs> of igneous rocks. And they have like water overprinting on them. So they're not sort of pure... But we weren't expecting that. Super exciting. So we stashed those. But the real goal for this whole thing is to get to this delta and start sampling this, the sediment that we think should be there. And we just did that for the first time. You know, with a little play to Star Wars, these are the rocks we're looking for. <laughs> and uh, and that's what we came for. And we're uh, excited to have some of those in our, you know, in our backpack to bring home now. I suspect you were one of the hundreds, if not thousands of scientists who just cannot wait to get your hands on those samples. I've, I've literally, it's one of the things that really drew me to come to JPL at this time. I've literally been working to advocate for and try to fly versions of Mars Sample Return for about 25 years. Hmm. So the fact that we're finally here. But in the meantime, you did mention Europa Clipper, and yep. I don't want to pass over that one because that's going to happen even sooner. So just a little more than two years from now, we'll launch um, our next mission to the outer solar system. It's a Jupiter orbiter, but it's one that's designed to do many, many, many close flybys of Europa, the, the fabulous moon of Jupiter, which we think has an ocean beneath its icy shell. And we are going to characterize and understand that ocean in incredible detail with this mission. And there will be a JWST-like moment for that mission when we when we get to Jupiter and we really start to see close up what Europa has in store for us. It's going to be thrilling. And that spacecraft is coming together as we speak right here on the lab. It's going to launch on a Falcon Heavy in a couple of years. So that'll be a, a good show and uh, can't wait. I've seen a Falcon Heavy take off with our light sail, among other payloads, oh, and it's pretty thrilling. I you, haven't seen one yet in you, person. You yeah. want to be there. You yes. Wanna, you definitely want to yes. be there. I, I also think of how Europa Clipper, in so many ways, is standing on the shoulders of giants itself. Yes. Cassini. Cassini. Which told which us. Which Voyager and, yeah. and, and uh, Galileo, our, uh, our other Jupiter orbiter mission. And now yeah. Juno we have out there, too, which is a smaller mission, but still fantastic. Thank you, Lori. I, I mean, I hope to be back here again, maybe when we celebrate the 45th anniversary of the Voyager mission's launch, which is, as we speak, only about a month away. That's true. It's, uh, can you believe that? It's so inspiring to think that uh, in that mission now, the light time is 18 hours from Earth. When we send a signal, it takes 18 hours to get to Voyager. Talk about a deep space adventure. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Lori. And, uh, Enjoy your tenure here at the Jet Propulsion Lab. Thanks. Thanks for having me. New Jet Propulsion Lab Director Lori Leshen. I'll be right back with Bruce Betts and What's Up. This is Planetary Radio. There's so much going on in the world of space science and exploration, and we're here to share it with you. Hi, I'm Sarah, Digital Community Manager for the Planetary Society. Want more space? We've got the latest news, pretty planetary pictures, and Planetary Society publications on our social media channels. You can find the Planetary Society on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. I hope you'll like and subscribe so you never miss the next exciting update from the world of planetary science.
Hello, I'm George Takei, and as you know, I'm very proud of my association with Star Trek. Star Trek was a show that looked to the future with optimism, boldly going where no one had gone before. I want you to know about a very special organization called the Planetary Society. They are working to make the future that Star Trek represents a reality. Boldly go to build our future. Time again for What's Up on Planetary Radio. I'm with the chief scientist of the Planetary Society. That is Dr. Bruce Betts, who I forgot to tell Lori Leshen, you were her, her classmate at Caltech. I apologize. Well, hopefully she remembers. <laughs> Well, I don't know now, but maybe you oh, know well, she's reached you know the such such pinnacles of success, and I work with you. <laughs> Come on, you're the chief scientist. I'm the chief scientist. Now, Laurie and I were in the same class in Caltech in the Division of Geological and Planetary Sciences. I hope you enjoy the conversation. I I really did. Well, I sure I'm sure I will. I, I like space. Uh, <laughs> I like JPL, and I like Laurie. So there you it'll go. be good. Tell us about the night sky, damn it. <laughs> I did it. I insulted you enough that you <laughs> you swore heavily at me. <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone. Um, night sky. We have uh, four nicely visible planets, uh, Venus low down on the horizon in the pre-dawn, and you can go across the sky, but they're really spread out. So if you're looking in the pre-dawn, you can look up above Venus and see reddish Mars, which is getting brighter as Mars and Earth come closer in their orbits. Farther up is uh, Jupiter, and then farther across is yellower Saturn, but they're really spread out. So Saturn, you can, there's now a minor party going to a major party in the evening with these planets as well. Saturn's coming up in the early evening. Of course, things rise in the east because, you know, Earth rotation. <laughs> we have a special guest appearance not visible unless you have good eyesight and a dark sight, but quite visible with binoculars, which is Uranus. You can actually check it out kind of easily with Mars from July 30th to August 3rd. It's it's relatively close to Mars. And so if you'd get binoculars, hold them steady, find Mars, uh, you can check out the little blue dot that's Uranus. So you use a finder chart online if you need it, but uh, you can also just look for the blue dot. Let's go on to this week in space history. It was 1971 that uh, Apollo 15 landed on the moon. They did great science. And of course, they were the first to be humans driving around in a dune buggy on another world. Zoom, zoom. Zoom, zoom, zoom. You ready? Yeah. Random space fact! Oh, I'm glad you warned me. You looked a little too sedate. So, have you heard of this place called J JPL? Uh it's a jet propulsion laboratory. Oh, and I, yeah, yeah, and yeah. a lot of people know this, and I'm sure you know this, but I thought it was time to share with the world why Pray Tell is a place that focuses on space exploration named the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Uh, it's because it evolved from a group under Caltech professor Theodore von Karman, famous for all sorts of stuff, who did rocket research, including developing, and this uh, I had forgotten, uh, developing jet-assisted takeoff for aircraft. So you strap rockets 
to the side of aircraft and help them take off on a short runway. The name Jet Propulsion Laboratory first appeared in a proposal to the U.S. Army in, uh, I believe, 1943 during World War II, uh, proposing to do rocket stuff. The Army took over uh, their efforts, and uh, the rest is history, sort of, once they joined NASA. It really is a fascinating story, the origin of JPL. And, you know, we, uh, the closest Lori came was mentioning that uh, we're in this, uh, this, this gulch that uh, people used to blow things up in, which was absolutely true. So maybe something that uh, we'll save for another episode of the show, go even deeper into the history of that NASA center operated by Caltech. We move on to the trivia contest. I had the ever insightful question for you. Generally speaking, what goal does the James Webb Space Telescope heat shield share with the packaging of the now-retired, sadly, McDonald's McDLT burger? How'd we do, Matt? Could people deal with my craziness? Oh, yeah, they did, and we had they had so much fun with this. And I'll get to our winner in just a moment, but I do want to mention, you know, our deadline for this contest was the day that I made my big announcement. And since then... Maybe we'll cover some of this in future shows, but thank you folks, everybody who has been writing and saying the most wonderful things uh, to me uh, about uh, my decision to back off from the host chair of this show uh, in November, not till late November, so we have till then. Uh, but uh, thank you. I, I do want to at least acknowledge those here, and I am trying to reply to everybody who uh, says anything about this in a note. But anyway, before all that became common knowledge, we got this entry from Jonathan Gorbach, who I think might be a first-time entry, is definitely a first-time winner out of Virginia. Congratulations, Jonathan. Here is his response. A box and a shield made of tears, more alike than at first it appears. One side is kept hot, the other is not, and they'll both last for hundreds of years. <laughs> Please explain. Yeah, when they decided to retire the McDLT, I grabbed like 20 of them. I still have 10 left. <laughs> oh, God. Bring one out every year. They're still yeah. good. The answer, in a nutshell, and lacking the clever poetry, is uh, the whole point of both uh, was to keep the hot side hot and the cold side cold. So McDLT, they put the burger on one side and the lettuce and tomato on the other side of packaging and sold it as, hey, keep the hot side hot and the cold side cold. And that's exactly slightly differently what the JWST heat shield does, having one side always facing the sun. And they keep the detectors on the telescope nice and cold on the far side. Jonathan won a copy of your book, Solar System Reference for Teens. Uh, yes. which is uh, available all over the place now. And it's a, it's a really fine book. So Jonathan, congratulations. Keep them coming, folks. We got a new one coming up right now. JPL. We return one, one last time to JPL. Name the locations, all the locations at JPL, to be clear, at the JPL main campus that are on the list of National Historic Landmarks. Huh. Go to planetary.org slash radio contest. Apparently you didn't know either. I hadn't. Who knew? Fascinating. Well, I look forward to hearing the answer to this one, and we'll get those answers by the 3rd. That would be August 3rd, Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific time. And here's what somebody is going to win. It's a copy of a great new book uh, called The Red Planet, A Natural History of Mars by Simon Morden. 
uh, researcher, planetary scientist, who uh, is a great science communicator. It is a, a beautifully written book. This is your comprehensive guide to humanity's future home. Well, I don't know if I want to live there, but I'd like to visit. Anyway, it's a, it, it's a very fine book, and uh, it will go to uh, the winner of this, one, this contest that Bruce has just challenged us with. All right, everybody, go out there, look up in the night sky, and think about... All I can think about is the McDLT. Think about McDLTs. <laughs> Thank you. Good night. You still have one or two in the freezer? I'll be right over. You stay away from those. Planetary Radio is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California, and is made possible by its members, many of whom work down the road at JPL. Learn how to help propel us at planetary.org slash join. Mark Hilverda and Ray Paletta are associate producers Josh Doyle composed our theme, which is arranged and performed by Peter Schlosser. Ad Astra. Ad Astra.